This episode of Security Management Highlights is brought to you by Genetech, building physical security solutions that allow you to see, know, and understand your environment today and in the days to come. For more information, please visit them at Genetech.com. You know, we live in an information age, so we're, we're just flooded with information. And what protectors have to do now is sort through that information to find what is important you know, what is intelligence that you need to know. I'll give you a perfect example in San Francisco under Proposition 4, um, felony threshold is $950, right? So you can basically walk in and steal $949 worth of product and not have to worry about anything more than a misdemeanor. So you add that into the equation. These are all the uh, contributing factors as to why this has literally just gone uh, uh, absolutely out of control. ATMs, the risk of ATMs and what's happening there, the loss associated with those is far greater than, you know, what banks are losing today on bank robberies. All that and much, much more on this month's edition of Security Management Highlights. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, the security guy, Chuck Harold. Jerry Hines, CPP PSP CST, is the CEO at International Protection Group, a founding board member of the International Protective Security Board, and chair of the ASIS Executive Protection Community Steering Committee. Mr. Jerry, welcome to Security Management Highlights, my friend. Oh, thank you, Chuck. I'm happy to be here uh, once again talking with you. Now, today's topic is Executive Protection for Celebrities, spotlight on the protector in a way it's kind of a unique thing and you know jerry i, I worked at fox and disney 10 years had two databases of six thousand stalkers for all those celebrities you have your hands full in this side of the profession it is much different executive protection than we're used to seeing probably what is the most significant difference when you're protecting celebrities what, what's the focus on this well chuck they um today's world especially with social media, with uh, things going viral. Um, whenever there's a celebrity, now everyone has a cell phone. Everyone has the capacity to film, to record, uh, sometimes live stream. Uh, the celebrity may be arriving. Um, and one thing is, as you know, we protect people from love and hate. So celebrities are loved but we also have to worry about that, that person that, that's developed a hatred for them, uh, maybe because uh, they didn't respond to their letters or, or they did a movie that they didn't like. Um, but the celebrities are in the spotlight and then those protecting the celebrities are also in the spotlight. So everything they do is scrutinized. Every, you know, every um, instant, could be, uh, a, you know, it could blow up and, and be a big deal. What kind of unique techniques or or applications do you use to apply to celebrity protection nowadays? Must be some unique training for this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my company, International Protection Group, we own and operate the Executive Protection Institute, which was founded in 1978. Um, but one thing that we've done is develop a, a a defensive tactic specifically for protectors. It's called protection response tactics. And the emphasis on it is uh, we're not policemen, we're not empowered with effecting an arrest, 
And in some cases, we're just containing an overzealous fan, someone that's excited. And so we may have to put our hands on them. We may have to protect ourselves too. So what's really important is, is how it appears. And, and sometimes you, you may have to gain control of, a, of an excited fan uh, without overpowering them or without doing an arm bar on them or something. So this, the method that we're now using to teach those in, in executive protection is very mindful of the appearance, very mindful of, of and also the, the people that we protect, the celebrities themselves, they're, they're concerned about their fans, even though they're trying to tear at them or grab a piece of their clothing or something like that. They don't wanna see their protectors uh, manhandle uh, a fan, uh, even if that fan may be, you know, may be under the influence or, uh, now as, and sometimes they take issue with the protector because all they wanna do is to get an autograph, they wanna take a selfie. And sometimes then the protector is in a position to you know, contain them, hold them back. Um, and what we don't want that overzealous fan to do is to get into a position where now they wanna go fisticuffs with, with the protector or you know, they have an issue that you know, because they want that selfie, they want that autograph, and we may be in a position to not allow that to happen. So we, we have to be very careful in our manners, uh, how we use our hands, how it appears, um, because at any moment, click, and that image could then go viral of, a, of an artist, you know, bodyguard, um, manhandling a fan. Now, one thing I know about Executive Protective for Celebrities is each event is different. It's unique. You have to plan each one separately. Uh, you know, it used to be one, one position I used to take is less is more. Lower profile, like lower profile entries, back doors, less attention brought to celebrity by the security team, right? If you have 25 security guys, people say, hey, wait a minute, who is that? What's going on, right? Are you finding as you change your model that your personnel staffing changes because of this, this, this new way to do it. You know, absolutely. It, and once again, because we live in such technology um, with the internet, and I like to remind people, I started doing protection before Al Gore invented the internet and before cell phones and <laughs> GPS. Um, but now with the advent of the internet, um, if one person sees that celebrity, they may put it out in a network and instantly other people know about it. So as you mentioned, the key to all executive protection is advanced planning. As you know, we, we really are practice the art of war. We practice, you know, a battle not fought is a battle won. We don't wanna fight. We want things to go smoothly. We wanna plan secretly, try to get a celebrity in and out of a location, uh, nice and easy. But with the advent of the internet and, and social media and uh, so many apps, um, somebody spots a celebrity. So every arrival, every departure uh, requires great deal of planning uh, and anticipation that people may find out about it. You know, fans may arrive. Um, and on the celebrity side, it's 
uh, we don't have, you mentioned 25, I would love to have 25. You know, sometimes it's, it's two or three people. Uh, you're coming out of Ivy and Beverly Hills or, you know, a restaurant. Um, and, and then there's just a throng of fans and paparazzi. And their behavior is unbelievable at times. I mean, the, the fans are so excited to see, you know, the star. Uh, they want to try to get a picture, an autograph. Uh, they just even want to get a look. Um, so, you know, every detail now requires so much planning uh, ahead of the time in anticipation of, you know, what to do if, you know, you're overwhelmed with fans. Um, and so that's that's just the added pressure that celebrity protectors. And one thing I wanted to mention, Chuck, is that uh, there's a big difference between professionally trained pr protectors who recognize this as a highly skilled profession versus uh, the amateur bodyguard. Um, anybody can say they're a bodyguard, and many do, um, but those that take this profession seriously, it's important for them to get training. Uh, and again, we practice that art of avoidance. We don't want to fight. We, we want everything to go smoothly. We want the uh, per person that we're protecting, whether they're a businessman or a celebrity, to go smooth. Uh, their public appearance uh, is important, you know, and their image. And um, there have been instances um, in some of the celebrities that my company provided protection for where misinformation was published, that there was an incident, and, and in some cases, it never even happened. Um, but, and they took it in stride because that happens a lot to them where, you know, there was a, it was reported in the newspapers, uh, in the gossip column that there was, you know, the celebrities bodyguards manhandled somebody and, and the incident never even took place. So, you know, you have to really deal with a lot of that, you know, misinformation and things like that. Well, that's true. Uh, let me just say there was a famous director who's still probably the world's most famous director. And, uh, he had a whole team and all that team did was read newspapers all around the world all day long and pull out stories about them and make sure they were vetted, make sure they were true or not true because that creates your image. And if your image is wrong and people get all jacked up about it, that creates more of a security issue for you. It's really quite a challenge. One thing I used to do is I would, I would like put a couple, a male and a female out acting as a couple. I'd put them in the crowd watching my executive protection team, right? Kind of like from afar, because I think nowadays, especially somebody has to watch the watchers, right? Because there's so many angles people are coming at you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's, we say that the old kind of secret service model, um, there's a place for it, particularly if you're going to say a highly publicized event, the video music awards or something like that. But we intermix now a lot of overt and covert protection. And just like you, you did, in the past, we, we still do now. We 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 have covert protectors, um, and then you you particularly at a highly publicized arrival, you are going to have overt protectors. You know, very visible. They're a deterrent. People recognize, and you need them there um, in place. But we do utilize covert protectors. Uh, and one thing that you brought up, which is critical in this day and age, we call it protective intelligence, gathering 
data, gathering information, uh, sorting out uh, are there threats, uh, establishing persons of interest, uh, might be those overzealous fans or somebody's sending hate mail, uh, publishing things. Uh, and you're right, I used to go to the supermarket every Monday buy all the tabloids um, and scrutinize them on what was being said about uh, the celebrities that I was providing protection for. And interesting is they do gather a lot of truthful information, but it's intermixed with a lot of bogus made up, you know, stories, um, stories or, you know, they have imagination or they, they speculate that something's happening, that the artist is dating a certain person. But what we're looking for is filtering all that. Is, is there any threats? Is there any, you know, leakage also of information? Um, who's talking to the press? Who's talking to the tabloids? Um, and as you know, they have TMZ now. It's, uh, they specialize in going out, trying to create a story, trying to highlight something that's going on with an artist. So anytime an artist has anything going on in their life that is interesting or controversial, maybe um, who they're dating, you know, are they using drugs? Uh, what's going on? Um, in incredible scrutiny. And paparazzi and some of these tabloid reporters will try to sneak in to get pictures or to get information. Um, and so it's really challenging now in the celebrity world uh, in, in terms of the protection for celebrities. Is it a little easier to gather information? Uh, I remember, I think it was probably right after Al Gore invented the internet, if I remember correctly, like the late 90s, uh, The X-Files, uh, number one show in the world back in the day, cost a million bucks to produce it. And uh, we had some serious problems with, with the celebrities. One of them was a guy was soliciting someone to build him a silencer for a 50 caliber rifle because he wanted to assassinate one of the main stars of the show, right? Now, we happen to find that buried in a forum I don't know if forums are even around anymore. Remember forums back in the day? Uh, difficult to find. Are you finding with the with information everywhere, does it make your job not easier, but more thorough, maybe? I mean, you can literally find people bragging about stuff in chat rooms and internet stuff all over the place now to help you with intelligence. Well, sure. And, and you know, we live in an information age, so we're, we're just flooded with information. And what protectors have to do now is sort through that information to find what is important, you know, what is intelligence that you need to know. Um, and then you have to determine, for example, if someone's talking about harming your principal, is it real? Is it, are they boisterous? Do they have issues? And of course, when a particular person targets your principal, your protectee, um, you know, either through emails or, or through letters or, or making their presence known, uh, it's, it's a serious consideration because you just don't know what are they capable of. And there have been cases, uh, you know, John Lennon and, and others were even, a, you know, Mark Chapman was a fan, got his autograph. Uh, and then turn around and kill them. Um, you know, the, the mental state, uh, unfortunately, and, and the 
the, the use of, of drugs uh, that a lot of people are using that have mental issues. Um, now it's very concerning. Um, you, you mentioned, is it easier? Well, we have access to the information, but so do a lot of other people. And then how do you find that information or sort through all that to really determine, um, you know, is this person a threat or, and it's awkward because in some cases, um, you know, some corporations have protective intelligence. They have analysts uh, analyzing, you know, persons of interest, gathering all that information. Uh, in some cases, you're the protector and, and, and you're having to, to, to gather the information. You're having to sort through all that. Um, you know, it would be nice if we were afforded a large team, um, you, you know, to be able to do all that. And in some cases, uh, you're working by yourself or maybe one or two others. Um, and so you have to be multi, you know, faceted nowadays as a protector. You have to have the capability of, of gathering that information, sorting through that information and bringing it aware to the, to the principal themselves and or their legal counsel. Um, you know, in some cases we have to, uh, you know, let law enforcement know we have a viable threat. Uh, someone has targeted our the client. Now, you and I have been doing this a long time, and uh, with that comes some street creds and wisdom. What do you see coming up in the next couple of years that you see as a major shift in how we handle executive protection? Well, one thing is I, I am the chair of the ASIS executive protection community, which is uh, all the their former councils now have become more communities, which I think was brilliant for ASIS to do that because uh, councils were a little more inclusive before, available to help the membership. Now the community is, a, is um, it's more open. Uh, and now every member of the thousands of uh, members worldwide have access to uh, our community uh, to learn about things. One thing that we're working on is standards and guidelines. And this was um, the council, um, EP council was formed uh, a number of years ago uh, as an ad hoc council. And then ASIS saw that, that we, we really do stand as a unique profession and they form, you know, formed the council. Um, and we began working on standards and guidelines. Um, and what was interesting is there, you know, right now there are, are no say standards um, and standards are voluntary. Um, ASIS um, has made quite a number of standards which helps uh, uniform uh, the delivery of a service say. So executive protection, particularly in the corporate world, um, you know, a US based corporation say has an operation in India or, or elsewhere uh, by having that standard, then when the execs go from the U.S. base to those locations, there's continuity of service. So I think within the celebrity world also, I think it, it'll be helpful. The, the executive protection profession is growing significantly. And, and what I hope for is more professionalism. You know, there's a a company called Sims and they had a, their tagline was an educated consumer is their best customer. Well, a lot of people don't know or understand 
uh, executive protection. They, they, you know, call us bodyguards and they think it's muscle. Uh, they don't really fully understand our profession and, and what goes on behind it. And, and some of those that they don't understand are the very people we protect. So what's helpful is that the, say, celebrities in celebrity protection, that they, they can better understand what we're up against. They can better understand the need for us to gather that intelligence, to have more people available. Um, you, you know, there's a cost factor there, but you, you know, some of these artists are worth um, millions every, every time they make a movie, it's, you know, there's a significant amount of money there um, and they need to be protected. And the way of the world, you know, one, one thing that we experience a lot now is active shooters um you know mass shootings uh and that can happen anywhere um so protectors uh need a, a lot of support and then also uh recognize that that a professional protector should be you know have adequate training and and then also financial support uh for us to uh, accomplish our mission mr jerry good stuff always glad to talk to you my friend and uh I'm so happy you're in the profession because uh, experience and wisdom really was what is needed in this crazy age we're in right now. Uh, everything old is new again and it keeps changing. So I'm so glad you're on the case, my friend. Thanks so much for coming on Security Management Highlights. Thank you, Chuck. It's always a pleasure to um, chat with you. My next guest is Scott Thomas. He's the National Director of Signature Brands, Retail Banking, Hospitality, and Gaming for Genetech. Make sure to visit them at Genetech.com. Mr. Scott, welcome. Security Management Highlights, my friend. Well, thank you, Chuck. I'm glad to be here. Today's topic is organized retail crime and technology. Let's start by defining that for us. Uh, sure thing, Chuck. Um, organized retail crime uh, is basically the theft of merchandise um, for, for resale. And uh, you can have small ORC gangs. You can have uh, large nationwide networks um, that, uh, that even sell. Uh, their product or attempt to sell the product back to uh, back to retailers themselves. Uh, a lot of ORC, uh, the, the theft that uh, uh, they're, they're doing, um, you know, can be seen on anything from eBay to Amazon web stores. In some cities, you'll see it uh, spread out along uh, sidewalks uh, or in, uh, uh, you know, a type of flea market atmosphere. Um, there's a lot of different channels uh, for for the product uh, once they've stolen it, and uh, it's a it's a major problem uh, in uh, in society right now, especially here in the United States. As it's done with almost everything in our society, I suspect COVID nineteen has really impacted the security sector. Yeah, you just hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, uh, first off, just the bottom line, right? On in, in an average year before COVID, you know, shrink ran usually. Uh, it depended on the on the specific vertical, uh, anywhere from uh, you know one percent up to you know two two point two percent. In some of these uh, vertical markets, uh, shrink is now well over three uh, percent, headed towards four percent, and that affects the bottom line, and you know that affects the prices that we pay uh, at the register. 
Um, you know, there, there, there's other ancillary problems with that too. Uh, you know, you have uh, potential for violence, right? Uh, you know, um, in chains where they're trying, they do try and and stop or recover merchandise. You have uh, uh, perpetrators who who have zero problem uh, physically engaging, uh, you know, be it uh, you know with with their hands or with weapons. Um, the 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 problems, you know, then again get bigger. Uh, chains adapt. Uh, uh, a policy of hands off, just let them walk out the door. Well, the problems then become so substantial. And I'll give you a perfect example. This was just just announced here in the last uh, couple of weeks uh, in San Francisco. You've got a major drugstore chain that is uh, closing um, all of their locations in the city. Uh, they were losing over a thousand dollars a day in, uh, in 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 organized retail theft, and it's just not profitable for them to stay open. So. You know what does that do? Well, you know, one obviously the folks that work at the drugstore chain uh, in those individual stores, well, they're out of jobs. Uh, but more to the point, it's the impact on the community, right? Where uh, where does somebody go to get their prescription filled? Uh, where do they go? You know, if they uh, if they need some uh, some medicine for their kids at uh, eight or nine o'clock at night, um, it it really is a trickle down uh, impact. And unfortunately, if you don't have a uh, uh, a prosecutor uh, in, an, in a given city or county that uh, is going to pursue charges. If you don't have law enforcement that can respond to uh, to these incidents, this is exactly what type of a uh, of a scenario unfolds. I'll give you a perfect example in San Francisco under Proposition Four. Um, felony threshold is $950, right? So you can basically walk in and steal $949 worth of product and not have to worry about anything more than a misdemeanor. So you add that into the equation. These are all the uh, contributing factors as to why this has literally just gone uh, uh, absolutely out of control. Um, so th those are some of the uh, some of the biggest challenges that these folks are, are facing. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you're seeing the, the repercussion. And as much as uh, some of these chains are actually closing stores, uh, where it's gotten uh, you know, way too uh, out of control. Well, simply put, this is just nutty and it's not sustainable. We, we can't keep doing this. So I think we might need technology to help us. Give us some ideas of what technology Genetech is bringing to the table to help solve this crisis. So Genetech has a product called Clearance. And what Clearance is, is digital evidence sharing. Now, within that, we have the codex for over 80 different uh, video platforms. And what we can do is basically uh, allow the retailer to put that into uh, a clearance file. And this is all browser based. Um, it then converts it to a, uh, an ASF um, uh, format so that it can be viewed and shared with designated people that the, uh, the, the administrator of that particular case would, would assign. So if I wanted to, you know, say, share it with other supermarkets in the area, I'm getting hit for, for health and beauty care products or maybe baby formula, and I wanted to collaborate with other grocers in a given city, I could set up an account. I could then share with the organized retail theft teams of those chains. Um, they could then contribute video, and then we could go to, you know, let's say the uh, the, the chief of police uh, and a local prosecutor and say, look at this video. We've identified them here at, at chain A, chain B, chain C, uh, chain D. Here's the approximate value of this product, and you know we've got a ten thousand dollar loss. Um, 
once you can do that, that's where you'll start to get the, the cooperation from law enforcement and these different prosecutors. So the technology helps facilitate this by making the video viewable for, for anyone that has permission, maintains the chain of evidence, and then becomes something they can easily download and share with uh, the proper authorities, be it, uh, be it in legal or, or, uh, or with lawyers or, or law enforcement. Scott, I have to say that Genentech has nailed this issue. Back in the day, I used to bring home analog tapes from the studios and say to my wife, honey, we can't watch Seinfeld tonight. We have to watch security videotapes. There were no digital markers. You had to watch the entire tape to find what you're looking for. That could take eight hours. It was really mind-numbing. What a great solution, Scott. This is the way to beat them at their own game. Mr. Scott Thomas from Genentech. Visit him at Genentech.com. Thanks for coming on Security Management Highlights, my friend. Thanks, Chuck. I really enjoyed the time spent with you today. Stephanie Clark, CPP, is the Senior Vice President and Director of Physical Security Solutions for KeyBank and a member of the ASIS Banking and Financial Security Services community. Stephanie Clark, welcome to Security Management Highlights, my friend. Thank you. Today's topic is ATM vestibule security. Now, of course, the irony here is when vestibules were first created, the idea was to make people safer, give them a place to get out of the weather, uh, get them away from the street. But now that model's kind of flipped, and ATM vestibules are a place for people seeking shelter from homelessness. Yeah, yeah, the the vagrancy issue for sure um, can be problematic because there's, you know, vestibules where... um, you know, people can walk into, you know, kind of a, a closed off area and conduct their transactions there at the ATMs and um, vagrants and um, folks are um, making homes and areas to sleep in there and um, certainly can cause concern for, for clients who are just trying to use the ATM safely. And so, um, you know, we're, we're looking at that and how to um, keep them out of those locations. Um, acts of robberies with, with clients. Um, you know, I, I hear that that is, is something that is also increasing. And so I think that people find, you know, them vulnerable when they're, you know, they can be watched and seen when they, they leave the machine. And so, um, they can be targets and, and, you know, there's so many things associated with, um, you know, that, that banks and retail locations are, are trying to do and need to do to help protect those those spaces and areas and you know awareness for clients as well you know they have to um, you know be aware of their surroundings when they're using the machines vagrancy is certainly not a crime in most jurisdictions in the United States and since it's not a crime does the industry have other methodologies in place to track these incidents could this be a case of underreporting do you have enough data to formulate a response yeah, I think I think that's a great question. I, um, you know, I've been doing this for a while now and tracking, and and we've we've tried to track as much as we can, and I really see an increase um, uh, with us and, and our peers. But tracking has gotten better. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, I certainly think it's still underreported. I think the issue is much larger than. Um, we've identified right now because employees they just take things upon themselves they they try to deal with the issue and then they're they're on to the next client and trying to help them out and next transaction and um 
you know, the, I guess I, I, you know, some areas of the country are experiencing, um, you know, a, a different responsiveness from law enforcement, a different um, reaction to prosecuting certain types of crimes like, uh, uh, you know, vandalism and, and other types of misdemeanors, the, things aren't happening um, like that. And so I just think we have an increase, like a lot of different areas are affecting the industry and our, our employees right now. Um, I don't think they report everything because they're just getting, you know, some of them, unfortunately, or this is just what we deal with. We have to, you know, try to work around this, um, you know, vagrant who has made a home near our, near our entry and um, they just start dealing with it. But but reporting is is critical and, you know, reporting, identify working with law enforcement to try to understand how big of an issue is this? And is it actually, you know, to your, your point is, has this been going along, you know, happening all along and we just didn't know about it? Or um, is there truly an upward trend? And, you know, I think that the stressors that are out there today, this is just my opinion. Um, I don't have facts to support this. Um, but I think the stressors out there on, um, you know, with, with Ken, the pandemic and, and job loss, um, you know, and the, the political and social unrest has definitely escalated the way that, that people um, interact with others and how they handle stressful situations. So um, I guess what it remains to be seen when we have more data after, you know, going through the last couple of years, um, hopefully we'll know more. So how do you raise the awareness of this issue with bank employees? How do you get them to report this if it doesn't fall within traditional reporting guidelines? You know, employees, I, I think are, you know, employees and their management and the security for these, um, for banking and, and um, retail locations, other areas dealing with clients um, are definitely, I think, having to be more aware. And we're held accountable to make sure that we are, you know, giving them the awareness and training that they need to be, um, you know, aware of their surroundings and, and what they need to look for and also reporting of incidents. I think, you know, that's one of the main things that we need the people who are out there, you know, that, that frontline employee that's dealing with, um, you know, several different issues today from, you know, I, I rate clients, non-clients, vacancies, um, you know, just we, we need them to report those matters to us because, that way we can evaluate the um, incident, the issues, we can track it, and then we can apply um, appropriate controls and, um, you know, help help mitigate some of the risk associated with those locations. But first they need to be trained. You know, they need to know how to report the incidences and when to, you know, when to report the incidents. Um, they need to be, you know, trained on, on, you know, I think two really important areas, and that's um, violence in the workplace. Um, they need to be aware of, you know, the the issues impacting um, that could impact them in the workforce and how to identify those red flags and, and report it. And then de-escalation training, because I think one of the biggest issues right now is, you know, people and, and you know, COVID could be a factor, um, political, um, social unrest could be a factor. It's, you know, the I guess trend that we're we're really seeing right now are people being um, 
you know, upset, they become irate, then they have threats of, um, you know, acts of violence, or they actually impose violence on others, um, threaten self-harm. And so, you know, employees being aware that this is happening, it could happen to them, and then what do they do when they're in that type of situation is critical. What else is new at ATMs and vestibules that our listeners should be aware of? What we're learning and hearing about um, from law enforcement in regards to some of the more violent attacks at these machines is, you know, a lot of it's just gang driven. And so word of mouth and different different um, gangs, gang associations that are out there will, um, you know, hear about the opportunities that they could have with a machine. And, you know, that's much greater um, than you know, robbing a bank the old fashioned way. And also the prosecution of those crimes is different too. And so that's another thing that I think the industry has a focus on right now is, you know, working with, um, you know, the, the U.S. attorneys and trying to make sure they understand, you know, here's, you know, this, this, um, you know, ATMs, the risk of ATMs and what's happening there, the loss associated with those is far greater than, you know, what banks are losing today on bank robberies. And so they're, you know, we still want those crimes treated on, you know, and prosecuted on a federal level. What's trending and what are you concerned about for 2022? Well, you know, besides the the increase of, of threats of violence or actual acts of violence and ATM crimes, I think that, um, you know, something we're going to need to keep our eye on and aware of is just the how certain areas, and this isn't everywhere in, in, in the U.S., but there are certain markets or, or um, cities that um, have reduced um, the law enforcement, number of law enforcement officers for various reasons. Um, now there's um, COVID vaccine mandates in certain cities that could also um, cause an, you know, additional reduction in law enforcement um, officers out there. And so I think that you know, when, when we have fewer people to respond to some of these incidents and potentially um, you know, not, prosec- you know, not prosecuting va- vandalism and you know, theft of property and, and you know, certain, you know, lesser assaults, I think we're going to see an increase in just those, those crimes, you know, increasing, I, you know, and we, you know, that's, that's a worry that if, you know, you don't hold people accountable um, for these types of crimes that um, they could just spread and increase even more. So that's, that's an area I think we have to to look at. And I, you know, I think also the returning to work, um, you know, if, if, if folks get back to that return to work um, mode, go back into the cities that they're at, they're, they're going to see an increase, and this isn't everywhere, but, but certain cities um, have the, the vagrancy and, and um, issues of, um, you know, drugs affecting these these vagrancies, they, vagrant um, folks, they've just spread out in the city. And so there used to be more isolated areas. And now when I go into certain cities, I see that it's more widespread. And so the safety, I would say, of our employees when they go back 
um, to the office. I, I can imagine that we will have increased concern brought to our attention, um, you know, from, you know, the parking garages to walking down the, the streets. Um, so that those are, those are some areas we'll be, you know, watching out for. Stephanie Clark, SVP and Director of Physical Security Solutions for KeyBank. Thanks so much for coming on Security Management Highlights. Great. Thanks, Chuck. This episode of Security Management Highlights is brought to you by Genetech, building physical security solutions that allow you to see, know, and understand your environment today and in the days to come. For more information, please visit them at genetech.com.